0: Alright, well if you have your Bibles tonight, let's open back up to the book of Acts. Um, tonight we're going to be finishing up in Acts chapter 8, um, and before we get into that, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessing upon our time. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to be here once again. Thank you God so much for this book that we hold in our hands. Um, they aren't just some words on a page, but they're your word, your very word to us. Um, words that can change our lives, words that give instruction as to how you, you want us to live our life, Father. And so God, I I just pray tonight that whatever it is that we need in this place, whether just instruction or challenge or conviction or encouragement, um, that God, you would give that to us. Lord, we we expect Father, you to move. Uh, we, We can't if we don't come into your word with expectation, Lord, we, we shouldn't be here. So, Father, I just pray that you would give us that, that attitude of expectation that you're going to speak to us, that, that you're going um, to show us areas of our lives that need to change. Because, God, the goal is that we can leave this place looking more like Jesus than when we walked in the door. So, Father, just move, Holy Spirit, move in hearts and minds and lives tonight. Let the words that come forth be yours. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, if you were here last week, um, you'll remember that we started talking about a man named Philip. Um, Philip was kind of introduced to us in Acts chapter 6. He was one of the um, gentlemen that was chosen to help the apostles in the ministry of um, providing food for the widows that was there at the Jerusalem church. But as we saw last week, because of the persecution that began in Jerusalem through Saul of Tarsus, uh, Philip, along with the vast majority of the church, was kind of scattered throughout the regions of of, Jerusalem. Judea which is kind of the outer area of, of, Israel, of like Israel as we know it today and, and kind of north in the area of Samaria as well and Philip actually found himself he was one of the ones scattered and he found himself actually in the city of Samaria and, and when he got there uh, he, he didn't let the fact that the reason he was kicked out of Jerusalem deterred him because he kept preaching the gospel. He, he kept telling people about Jesus. And, and, and through his message, um, the Holy Spirit worked just amazing things. It says that signs and wonders backed up his message. People were healed. Lame people were, were up and walking. And the result of that was that multitudes of these Samaritan people were saved saved baptized and joined the church and and not only that we kind of saw because of philip's willingness to share the message of christ that these people were, were set free from the deceptions of the local sorcerer there whose name was simon this simon no doubt through the power of evil spirits controlled by satan was a man that that the people of that town thought that he literally had the, the very power of god at his fingertips because of of the magic and and the and the signs that he did as well and so he kind of had a lot of those people kind of bamboozled but but through the message of Christ God set them free you know and 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 these people were saved and and they were they were made new Um, now one would think that with such an amazing ministry like that taking place in Samaria with multitudes being saved these new Christians being there needing a mentor needing training um, what better better man to do it like Philip However, God had different plans. You know, I I sometimes wonder um, why God does the things that God does, but uh, as we're going to see today, God called Philip away from that town, and and the result of that was that one man in the middle of nowhere was reached with the gospel simply because Philip said yes. And we're going to be talking about that here tonight. So um, why don't we first off start off, just read verse 25. And we'll kind of get into the rest of it. So um, Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 25, says that after testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. You know, one thing I find interesting about the impact of Philip was that it wasn't just the Samaritan people there in that city that were impacted. Even Peter and John, I mean, two of the foremost apostles, even those two were greatly impacted by what Philip was doing. I mean, they were just doing ministry in Jerusalem. They were perfectly content to do ministry in Jerusalem, yet when they heard about what was going on up there, they, they went up there, they, they laid hands upon these people, they received the Holy Spirit, and... The, the fire that began because of Philip's obedience there, what, it, like Peter and John caught that fire because they didn't just go back to Jerusalem. All along the way from Samaritan villages to Samaritan villages, that they, they proclaimed the message of the gospel. And as I was thinking about that, has anybody ever like lit a fire, you gone camping or had a little fire pit in your backyard? The hardest thing about a fire is getting it started. Once it started, it spreads very quickly and very, very easily. And I was just thinking about that, about our lives, and just wondering, you know, if, if we truly caught fire for the Lord, what could He do? What could he do in our communities if everybody in here was truly on fire for the Lord? I'm not talking about, you know, like a smolder, a puff of smoke, a little glowing ember. I'm talking about what if we as a church were truly on fire for God? What could God do? Well, the Apostle Paul says later in the book of Ephesians in chapter 3 and verse 20, he tells us that, that God can do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever possibly ask or think according to his power that works in us. So just imagine what God can do, and he can do exceedingly abundantly more than that if we would just truly, truly be faithful to what he wants us to do. Well, we, we see here that once God lit this fire in Philip's life. Um, Philip, you just never know where he was going to land. You know, he he started off in Jerusalem, ended up in Samaria, as we're going to see today. He ended up way down south. And as we kind of look at his story here today, um, I I just wonder, like, if God truly lit a fire in us, boy, I wonder where we would land. I I wonder what he would use us for. I I, I think we can just we could just imagine, because we really don't know. I think anything is possible when we're truly, fully surrendered to the Lord. Let's go, let's go ahead and read um, verses 26 through 35 of our text, and then we'll go ahead and get into it. So as, as for Philip, um, an angel of the Lord came and said to him, go south down to the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out, and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under, under the, the, the Kandake, um, the queen of Ethiopia. Um, the eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated, and Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, well, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of Scripture he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Then the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else. And so beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. You know, as I said, I find it interesting sometimes why it is that God does the things that he does Like Philip had like, this incredible ministry going up there in Samaria, and, and yet God called him away. He, he sent an angel of the Lord, one of God's messengers, to go and tell Philip that, that I want you to leave this ministry and go down to this deserted desert road between Jerusalem and Gaza. And so we're talking like south of Jerusalem, a road that connected one of the um, capitals of what used to be the Philistines to Jerusalem. It was said that it was a road that was very not often used. And, and yet, here's what you don't see. You don't see Philip questioning God. You don't hear me like, well, this is kind of silly. Why would I go down there when I'm reaching all these people here? He just he just goes. Just in obedience, he just takes off and he begins walking down the road, which is quite the walk from Samaria all the way down south of Jerusalem, and yet he's just absolutely obedient. And when he, when he, when he gets there, he, he sees this, this Ethiopian man and his entourage cruising down the road, and it just so happened that this man was a, you know, a, a man of high uh, stature. He, he was the treasurer of the queen mother of Ethiopia. And so in, in, in my version, it talks about, it calls her the Kanake. In some of your versions, it, it calls um, this person Candace. Both of these were um, just titles for the queen mother of probably what was the Nubian Empire, which was an empire that stretched kind of from south um, Egypt all the way down to kind of the area of Sudan. And it's interesting that in verse 27, it says this eunuch, the, the whole reason he was in Jerusalem was to worship. Which is kind of interesting because... According to the Mosaic law, a eunuch couldn't even go into the temple because of his condition. And In Deuteronomy 23 and verse 4, um, the law states that no man who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting man to the assembly of the Lord. And Yet this man went there to worship anyway. So what in the world was an Ethiopian man south of Egypt who couldn't even go into the temple doing in Jerusalem trying to worship the God of Israel? See, those are some good questions that we should ask ourselves we come along, like, along texts like this in Scripture. And, and what's interesting is there are a couple of different thoughts on why this man would have been in the, in the, in the position that he was going to Jerusalem to worship the God of Israel. Um, one thought is that this, um, his, his land of Ethiopia was where the queen of Sheba was from. Um, that was the one that came up and, and, and brought all kinds of wealth to King Solomon you know, years and years and years before this. But the other one, which is probably more likely, is that when Israel was kind of taken captive by um, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and, and a lot of the people were dispersed, this was one of the areas that apparently some of these Jews had gone to. It's really interesting, because I was actually watching, I'm, a, I'm kind of a nerd sometimes, and I like documentaries. Anybody like watching documentaries besides me? Okay, I'm not the only nerd in here, good. Um, so, so anyways, I was watching this, and it was talking about this lost tribe of israel that was in present day ethiopia and this whole thing was about they they did dna testing and everything and sure enough like these people were ethnic jews from that area and so what what it seems is that when the israel was kind of dispersed and kind of taken over some of them ended up down here in this land and and, and brought their faith in, in yahweh the god of israel with them and so for what it impacted this man so he so much so he went up to jerusalem to worship to God of Israel. So, anyways, this this man's cruising along in his carriage and minding his own business, and the Holy Spirit tells Philip, "Run down beside this man's carriage." Now, yeah, sure, that sounds great, except for if this man's the tr- like the, the one who is the, the, the head of the treasury of the Nubian Empire. Uh, My guess is that he had probably a handful of soldiers that were well armed, probably around him, right? And so this was no small thing, and yet Philip just goes. He just goes and he he starts, you know, kind of walking alongside of the carriage, and and, uh, he, he, he hears this man reading from the prophet Isaiah that Philip knew full well that he was reading something that was clearly about Jesus. Coincident, I don't think so. And so Philip just asks him this question Do you understand what you're reading? You know, one of the hardest things I think, you know, I think Christians know we're supposed to, like, talk about Jesus and, and start gospel conversations. Have you ever found that one of the hardest things to do is to actually get into it, to get into the conversation? Like, it's once, like, once Jesus is a subject, it's easy to talk about, but it's so hard to, to lead conversations there that way. And yet, if we pray that, that God would show us where he's at work and just open our eyes to it, you know, it's, it's just joining what God's already doing. That, that's kind of what, what Philip did here. You know, God told him to do this. The Holy Spirit says to walk along. He hears this, and he just asks the logical question. You know what you're reading. And the man says in verse 34, it's like, well, how can I? How can I understand unless, unless somebody tells me? What's going on here? I mean, who is this prophet talking about? Was he talking about himself? Was Was he talking about someone else? And what's interesting about the Jews of this day is that they had to have like three basic thoughts on this scripture. Like today I read Isaiah 53, which is where this is from, and I go, how did all these Jews miss Jesus? I mean, this is the passage of the suffering servant. I mean, it just shares in detail everything about him and the suffering that he would endure and the death that he would endure. And like... They, they knew that. The priests knew this text. How, I mean you ever read that and go, like I just don't understand how they missed it? Well, there were three basic ideas of the day um, that, that people thought, at least the Jews. One group thought that maybe that the prophet Isaiah was talking about the nation of Israel itself. Um, that obviously they had suffered, they had been persecuted um, greatly over the years, they were in exile, so maybe he thought that they were talking about that. Um, many thought that Isaiah was writing about himself because he was a prophet during a very, very difficult time, and and as we kind of shared a couple weeks back, I mean, he was one of the prophets that were was murdered. I mean, he, he was killed for for his faith and for his message, but there were some that looked at it rightly so and says golly this sure looks like it's talking about the messiah but because of their preconceived notion about what the messiah would be they just couldn't accept that that messiah would suffer and die but indeed we know that that passage clearly was talking about jesus and so philip hops on this opportunity to explain in detail what this passage is talking about and so verse 35 it says so beginning with this same scripture, um, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. And so he takes this opportunity and begins sharing the gospel through this passage. And then you think about what's stated in this passage. Now remember, they didn't have the New Testament. Like, like John 3.16, although Jesus had said it, it wasn't written yet, right? Uh, so he's going off what he knows in the Old Testament. And, and, and what better Old Testament passage than these two verses to share the gospel with this man? Now, so my mind wanders when I think about stuff like this, and I go, you know, I wonder how he did it. I wonder what he may have said to this man regarding this passage of Scripture. And so when I was thinking about that. I was thinking about when he was talking about the sheep to the slaughter, as it says in here. You know, Maybe, maybe Philip talked to this man about the sacrifices of the temple. And how all those sacrifices were really pointing to Jesus. Or, or maybe he brought up the Day of Atonement when, when the priest would take one perfect, unblemished, spotless lamb and it would be sacrificed for, for the sins of the whole people, of all the people of Israel. And maybe said, look, that whole thing pointed to Jesus who was God's sacrificial lamb that God sent to take away our sins. And, and just like the blood of that lamb was spilled, the blood of our Savior was spilled on that cross back that day. The wrath of God was satisfied once and for all, and salvation is made possible through the death of Christ. I mean, I don't know. I mean, my imagination thinks maybe that's kind of what he talked about with that part there. And, and then in, about how, about how his, he was silent before the shears and, and didn't open his mouth. Maybe, maybe you told him about what the people that were with Jesus during that time told him. I mean, we see it in Scripture. So, what we know about Christ is that when he was going to the cross, he he didn't complain, he didn't resist, he didn't beg to be let go, he didn't yell or curse at the people that were mocking him or, or hurting him. Nope, he was just he was just silent. And, and the few words he he did speak were. Words that were amazing indeed. As he's hanging on the, hanging on the cross, he, 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 he simply cried out, Father, forgive these people, for they know not what they do. And in his dying breath, he, he just says these three words, it's finished. What's finished? Our salvation was finished. He paid our debt. And I just imagine Philip just, just pouring this gospel message out to this man. Was, was Jesus humiliated like this passage says? Absolutely just like all the Roman victims of crucifixion where he was stripped naked and and put on public display. He received no justice. Jesus was the most innocent man in the world if there ever was one. His death was the single greatest injustice in all of history, yet this was the only way that we could be saved and forgiven. Through this tragedy, Jesus made it possible for, for we who are guilty to be justified before God and made holy and righteous. I mean, did he talk about that? Or maybe that his life was taken from the earth, he was, his life was cut short, and yet that was the exact reason why he came. That this passage was about the Messiah. Indeed, this Jesus was the one who came to save his people, and that's exactly what he did in the greatest way possible. I just imagine in my mind Philip just with this passion and vigor just just pouring out his heart to this man. And, And although we don't know every detail of what Philip said here, what we do know is he told this man about what Jesus did. And he told this man that what Jesus did could come for him. If this Ethiopian man would just trust in Christ as his Lord and Savior, he could be saved. We know that he said that because of what happens next in verses 36 through 38. And I will make a note that what's interesting about these next few verses is that 37 will be in some of your Bibles, and 37 may not be in some of your Bibles as far as the verse. And and the reason for this is that in some of the oldest transcripts, this verse is not actually added, but it's added in some scriptures because it doesn't, certainly doesn't take away from anything and what's said is absolutely true and valid, and so some Bibles have it in, some Bibles don't. I'm going to read it all. All three, just because. And so here's kind of what it says in verses 36 through 38. As they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? And in verse 37, Philip answered, you can, if you believe with all your heart. And then the eunuch replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so in verse 38, it says he ordered the carriage to stop. And they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. I mean, like right there on the spot, this Ethiopian man not only gives his life to the Lord, he's like, look, if, if Jesus was baptized, if Jesus said we need to be baptized, if it was good enough for him, it's good enough for me. There's some water, go dunk me. I mean, that's essentially what he says here. What an incredible thing. And like, if there's any question as far as how he was baptized, if you look at the first part of verse 39. When they came up out of the water, he, he was clearly baptized by immersion. Now, I will say this: when the Bible talks about in the New Testament about baptism, it, it's a Greek word called baptizo, which which literally means to immerse in water, literally. It's used of a piece of white cloth that was colored with Crimson red or purple—they weren't in a tie-dye back then. So they did just dip, beats the pit. You know what I mean? Or throw some water on it? No, they they immersed it. And so this was the word that was specifically used—that Jesus used, that the apostles used all throughout the Book of Acts—was this word "baptizo." And the instructions of Scripture, the instructions of Christ, and the Great Commission um, is when a person gets saved, they need to be follow in obedience to this baptism, to this immersion baptism of Christ. He exemplified by his example. You see that way back in the beginning of the Gospels where he sees John the Baptist and he's baptized. In the same phrase, he came up out of the water. He was immersed that way in the Great Commission. He says, "You know, save them. You know, make disciples, baptize them." That same word is something we see all throughout the Book of Acts. Same word, same thing. People are saved, they're baptized, they're added to the church, and so that's why we practice what we practice today in the church because. Jesus did it. Jesus commanded. It's exemplified throughout the New Testament. And so we follow that as a church still today. And if you've never been baptized in that way, I would highly encourage you to do so simply based on the commands of Christ in Scripture. And so this Ethiopian man gets saved, and and look at what happens next in verses 39 through 40. It says here that when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. And meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north in the town of Azotus, which is also known as Ashkelon, another one of the old Philistine towns. Anyways, um, it says that he preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. I mean, think about this. Like, Philip, he baptized this guy. They come up out of the water, and then, like, he's gone. Like, I I know this guy was just here. He just put me under the water. Now he's just gone, right? I I had no idea that there was an angel named Scotty. I mean, God was like, beam him up, Scotty. You know, and and so he's gone, you know. If you're not a Star Trek person, you wouldn't get that. But uh, but, but anyways, uh, that's what happened. And he, he literally finds himself, like, literally miles north in this area of Caesarea, 13 miles north from where he was at, just from here to there. <laughs> Crazy stuff. I mean, this isn't the first time you see it in Scripture. This happened one of the times when the apostles were on the boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. They were there, next thing you know, they are on shore. Um, so sometimes this passage is used for, uh, to talk about the rapture, when we're going to be like, zapped away someday, one moment we're standing here, the next moment we're in the presence of Christ. I mean, it's, it's kind of the idea, just a, just a cool picture of a future hope that Christians, that Christians have. But what I love more about that, even beyond that, was the fact that we see still the obedience of Philip. So he's like zapped up and, and, and ends up in, in, a, in a different town, 13 miles north, and from there all the way back to Caesarea, He's, every town along the way, he's sharing the gospel. I mean, what a faithful man. What an incredible example for us. And, and, and even wait, at the end of Acts, we'll get to this in Acts chapter 21 and verse 8, which is literally like probably some 20 years after this moment. This is said about him that he's still living up there in Caesarea, and the apostle Paul himself calls Philip the evangelist. I mean, for two decades, this man is just faithful in the ministry of the gospel, telling people about Jesus. And this is the story of Philip. Now, there are a number of things that we could take away from this passage of Scripture. One really cool one is this story, in my opinion, is one of the greatest proofs of all that that we're not just a number on a chalkboard in heaven but that God cares as much for the one as he cares for the multitudes. You think about Philip reaching just all these people in Samaria, and yet yet God saw this this one man, not part of Israel, not anywhere close, I mean, way hundreds of miles south, and yet he saw this man who he knew his heart was ready to receive the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so he, he tells this man, Philip, hey, you go south, and, and when he didn't even tell him where he was going, but he goes south, and he sees this one man, this one man's life is saved. You know, I just, we should never lose sight of the fact that with God, we're not just a number. He sees us as an individual. I mean, Matthew 10 and verse 30 tells us that, that literally even the hairs on our very heads are counted and numbered by God. This tells us that God sees us as individuals. He loves each of us. He desires to have a personal relationship with each of us. He wants us to know him personally. And, and just think about this. If, if you were that Ethiopian, Ethiopian, God would have chased you down too. In fact, he did if you know Christ. Do you realize that, that God saw you? And he put you in the right family, at the right place, at the right time, prepared the right person to share the gospel with you just so you could hear about Jesus and be saved. He did that for each of us as individuals. We're not just numbers. He cares about the one as much as he cares about the multitudes. And that should be something that just absolutely causes us to rejoice and praise him. You know, as the, as the apostle Paul said so well in Ephesians 3, in verse 18, he prays that we would have the understand, the power to understand, as all God's people should, how, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep God's love is for us. And I hope we can grasp that as God's people now that's one obviously cool thing we could take away from this and we could talk about that for the rest of our time. But we're really going to focus more on Philip and our last moments here together and just talk about three quick things that I kind of see from Philip's life that, that can really I think show us exactly what God wants from us. You know, if you think about Philip, like he really is a great example of someone who put himself in a position for God to use. God did use him in a mighty way to impact his kingdom and affect many people's lives. But, but as we think about Philip, a question that I want, kind of want us to consider and ask is this. What was it about Philip that made him so special? What was it about Philip in his life that, that put him in a position that he did for God to use him in the capacity that he did? And as we think about these three, three things, we should ask ourselves, is there anything that needs to change in my life? for me to put myself in a position for God to use. The first thing I want us to kind of notice is that, that Philip was a man that was already actively serving God. Like, the first time we see Philip is in Acts chapter 6. He, he was one of these men, one of these apostles that were chosen. I mean, yeah, he was one of these men, big deal. Well, he was, he was one of seven men out of thousands of men. I mean, he, he was special, I mean, he was a man that had proven himself faithful. He was a man that was known for his faith, that was known for his love and his service to God. And even in Acts 8 where we saw him here last week and this week, even when he was chased out of Jerusalem, what did he do? He remained faithful. Kept doing the job he was supposed to do. Kept sharing the gospel all the way seemingly to the end of his life. And, and there's a principle in this that, is, that is simply it says that to, to him, and Christ actually talks about in the Gospels, that to him who is faithful more will be added to him to him who is faithful more will be added to him like i'm a firm believer that god, we can't expect god to use us to do big things in his kingdom if we're not willing to do the basic things that we know to be true like like meaning are we faithful in the little things if you want to call them little things like are we in god's word See, Philip wouldn't have been in a position to explain Isaiah 53 if he didn't know God's word. Are we people that are people of men and women of prayer? Because if we're not men and women of prayer, if we don't understand the voice of God, he would never have understood that he needed to go there, that he needed to, 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 to walk up to that carriage. And yet he was a man who, who walked with the Lord. We should ask ourselves, are we being faithful to the people that God has put in our lives Right now, right here, where we're at. We, we shouldn't worry about where He might send us someday if we're not being faithful to who He sent us to already. Like, are we faithfully doing what we're supposed to be doing right now as husbands, fathers, wives, mothers, children, employees, employers, citizens? The basics of our everyday life. Are we being the people we're called to be right now? Like, are we faithfully doing what we're supposed to be doing as people who belong to this church? Are we using our God-given gifts to build up this church? Are we encouraging one another? Are we ministering to one another's needs? Are we people that are active and sharing the, the gospel message of our Lord Jesus Christ? Are we great commission following Christians? Are we doing our part? Are we doing our part to help disciple other believers? Like what I'm sure of is this, is the Christians that are doing that are Christians that God says, that's a person I can use for bigger and better things. And that's something that we should desire in our lives. If we want to be a person that God uses for something greater than we're doing right now, we need to be faithful with the things we already know to be true, and then he'll add them others in his timing. Another thing we see from Philip is that Philip was a man that recognized the voice of the Holy Spirit. And this is something that is so key in the life of a Christian. So, so God sends this message to Stephen, tells him to go down this desert road, and he, he sees this man, but then it says the Holy Spirit tells him, Go walk alongside of this carriage. Now, obviously, we can't say for sure, but ex- if experience tells me anything, Philip probably didn't hear an audible voice from God. He probably wasn't standing there, and the Holy Spirit went, Philip, go down to the carriage. And stand next to the guy. It it probably didn't happen that way. No, no, he he probably heard that that inner voice of the Spirit that this speaks to our hearts and minds. You know, Acts chapter six and verse five tells us that Philip was the man that was full of faith in the Holy Spirit, which tells me that Philip was a man that was in tune with the voice of God. He knew the voice of God when God's voice spoke. You know, as Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And clearly, this was true of Philip. And so the question we should ask is this. How did Philip come to know God's voice? And the answer is probably the same way we still do today. It happens slowly. But as we faithfully pursue God day after day, getting into his word, learning who he is and what he wants from us, and then obeying him in the small things, what we start to learn, to decipher, is what Elijah described as the still, small voice of God. We just begin to understand when God's speaking and when it's something else. One of the most awesome Bible studies I've ever done, if you've never been through it, I would encourage you to, It's called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. And he makes a couple of very pointed statements about learning how to know what God is speaking. And one thing he says is this, is that God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, through prayer, through circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. And and one thing that I have found out probably the hard way throughout my Christian life is that, this sounds crazy, but the, the voice of Satan and the voice of God at times are strikingly similar. And, and, and the only way that we can truly decipher between the two is this. The Holy Spirit speaks primarily through this. Now, he speaks to our hearts, he speaks to our minds, like this inner voice that speaks, right? But let's be honest, it could be bad pizza. I mean, really. And, and don't think that Satan doesn't speak in our minds. And so the question is if God speaks like what if I'm in prayer and I hear like this 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 prompting or or circumstances like am I supposed to do something here? Or people in the church speak this to me and I go, Oh, is this something God wants me to do or not? I don't know. The word of God. We cannot know the voice of God apart from the word. Of God. God will never speak anything that contradicts the teachings of his word. And so when we, when we have a moment where it seems like God is speaking to our, to our mind, the first thing we should ask ourselves, is it biblical? If it's not, we know it's not the Holy Spirit. And if it is, we can be pretty sure something's happening. So that's one thing he says, and the next thing he says is this. You, you come to know God by experience as you obey Him, and He accomplishes His work through you. So we come to know Him by experience. Like I always tell you, that in my experience, the single greatest way to decipher the voice of God is through simple faith and obedience. When you like, God's He starts small. Can I tell you something? God rarely says take a leap. Almost always says take a step. And it's through that step of faith where God meets us where we're at, and we see Him. Oh, wow! Look what God did. That's how we begin to know the voice of God. God works in similar ways in our life. We we come to know his voice that way. It, it, you know, I mean, when, when we hear God speak, we should respond in faith and follow what he tells us to do. That, that's how we come to know him. Like it, it may be a prompting to share Jesus with the with a specific person. It, it may be a prompting to that God says something inside of you he says, Man, I need to go, I feel like I'm supposed to go pray for that person or maybe a prompting that like i don't know, i see the need in this person's life or just something inside of me that says god's wanting me to go meet it or or it maybe like man i feel like I, I feel like i'm supposed to step out and, and serve in some capacity if we're truly listening to the holy spirit he'll make it clear and and i think he'll speak to us continually I think in First Thessalonians 5, 10, and 17, it tells us to pray without ceasing. And, and literally, I think that means that we're supposed to communicate with God on a continual basis and continually allow the Spirit of God to lead our lives. And, and, and that's kind of how we come to know the voice of God. So a question we should ask is, how in tuned are we with the voice of the Holy Spirit? Are we hearing Him? Are we responding in faith when He speaks? And the third and final thing I kind of see from, from Philip here is that Philip was a man that was willing to do whatever it was that God asked of him. Uh, one more quote that I love from Henry Blackaby, he, he said this, he said, right now God is working all around you. Whether you see him at work is irrelevant to the fact of God's presence in our, presence in our world. He is actively and intimately involved in both the affairs of this world and the details of our lives. You cannot stay The way you are, and go with God. If we want to follow God, if we want to do big things for the Lord, it's going to require us to move. And it's going to require us to move outside of our comfort zones. See, Philip was a man who refused to put limits on what God could use him for. Like wherever God led him, he was going to be faithful. Whoever God put in his path, Philip was going to share Jesus with him. And even when God told him to do something that made no logical sense, leave these people and go walk down some deserted road, he went. He put no limits on God. If God's call meant serving food to widows, Philip said, God, whatever you want of me. When he was pushed out of Jerusalem, God, you want me to speak to these Samaritans? No problem. I'm going to tell them about Jesus. Go to the desert? Sure, I'll go. He didn't know why he was going. He didn't know what he was supposed to do there. He had no idea. He just went and trusted God, and God used him. Even when he found himself miles away, hey, there's some more people. I'm going to go tell them about Jesus. God put these people in front of me. These are opportunities to serve and to minister, so I'm going to minister to these people. Like, what an example he sets for us. You know, I, I think... To an extent, there's something in all of us that wants God to use us, like he did with Philip. I mean, is there anything better than like, truly ministering to people? Or have you ever led somebody to Christ? Friend, there's nothing more exhilarating than seeing God move. And I think that there's to an extent all of us want to feel that, and yet if we're honest, I also think that the thought of that can be intimidating because if I truly give myself fully to God where might that lead like have you ever thought what might God call me to do or who might God call me to go talk to or where might God call me to go I think when it comes to impacting the world for the Lord, many Christians like the idea of that as long as it doesn't doesn't require them to step too far out of their comfort zone as long as it doesn't require too much sacrifice. But like, what if he asks you to go talk to someone you don't really like? That's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? Or... Well, what if he asks you to, to sacrifice something you don't really want to give up? Or, or what if he calls you to, to go and, and offer to praise someone? that Like, I don't even know this person. What are they going to say? What if God would do that? Like, what if we're at the grocery store and the Holy Spirit says go share the gospel with that person over there? That's the scary stuff, isn't it? I mean, that's like literally where the rubber meets the road in, in our Christian faith. And I think, although we like the idea of, the, of how exhilarating that would be, there's something inside of us that you just goes, oh, I just don't know. I just don't know if I'm the right person for that. Or even think about this, like I think many times as Christians, as, as long as I can do what God wants me to do right here, right where I'm at, I'm good with that. But like, what if God has other plans? What if God called you to pick up and move somewhere else? What if if God called you out of your present occupation to go into full-time ministry? What if God called you to go to a foreign mission field? Can I tell you something? For Christians that are fully surrendered to the Lord, Any of those things are possible, and that can be a scary thought. That can be a nerve-wracking thought to think, "Where might God send me?" But you know what? What we should really be worried about is, "God, am I being faithful right now, where I'm at?" Can I tell you something? Because right, it's the here and now that is the most important. Not what God might call us to do next week or next year, ten years from now, or where we may end up. Doesn't matter. Let's follow Philip's example. Let's just be faithful wherever it is that our feet land. Let's serve God. Let's share the message of Jesus and let God use us. Friends, I believe God wants to use all of us. I believe he is looking for people who are willing to do whatever, willing to go wherever, and willing to reach whomever he calls them to do. Second Chronicles 16.9 tells us that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart are loyal to him. Can I tell you something? If God called you somewhere, He will give you whatever is needed to accomplish it. We don't have to worry about going alone. We don't have to worry about not having the wisdom or the strength or the provision. He will provide. So let's be in Isaiah. In Isaiah 6 eight, where he, he, sees, he sees the Lord and he hears the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who, who will go forth? Who's going to reach these people? And Isaiah says simply, Here I am, Lord, send Send me. Will we be an Isaiah? Will we be a Philip? Will we go where he calls? Will we we do whatever he tells us to do? I hope so. Because, friends, God deserves to be glorified in our lives. And quite frankly, there are plenty of people out there that need to hear the message of Jesus. And it may be you and me that he's calling to go do it. Will we go? Will we be faithful? I tell you, let's give our hearts and lives to the Lord fully. And who knows what he's going to do. But whatever it is, it's going to be good. That way I can promise you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much just for your word and the challenge that comes from this this man of of many years past. This man, Philip, that set such an incredible example for us. A man who put no limits on, on, on what you would do through him. He simply said yes. He simply went when you said go and stayed when you said stay. And Father, that really is the call of our lives, to just be obedient in the here and now to whatever it is you're calling us to do. And Heavenly Father, I don't know what you've been speaking to people tonight, but Lord God, whatever it is, I pray that they would respond right now in this moment to whatever that is. God, this world depends on us. we're the ambassadors that are supposed to be out sharing the gospel. You, got, you, you could have chosen any other way. You could have sent angels. You could have made the trees cry out the message of Christ. You could have had the rocks cry out. You even said so. But instead, Lord, you chose us. And Father, for all that you've done for us, let us at least give that gift back to you of obedience and, and be lights to this world doing our best to live righteously, doing our best to, to shine the light of Christ through our lives, and, and when the opportunities come, sharing the message of Jesus that brings salvation. God, use us for your glory. Build this church. Build your kingdom. God, is, we obe- are, are obedient to you, Father. We love you. We thank you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um,